Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Did you mean to be in this lane? I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Which leaves you, listener, as always, in the driver's seat. I hope your seatbelts are on because today we're talking about teenagers. quote is from Trying to Stay Sane While Raising Your Teen by C. Lynn Williams. What's more important, your ego or hearing your child? Last week, we were on the freeway as the pace picks up with parenting your children. Today, we merge onto the superhighway of adolescence. The issues are fast and furious in this age range of 13 to 18, and conflict can be high. Personalities can collide, and the desire to prevail as a parent can be tempting. Parents often lament the teen years, but Papa, I know those are your favorite. What is it that makes the teen years your favorite? Well, like the first buds of the leaves in spring, teens begin to unfurl the adult they will become. And that that's just amazing to me, to watch the thinking process unfold and become is amazing. You know, they're trying on adult roles and struggling with what their values are going to be and how their values either match their families or differentiate from their families. You can also see the innocence of the toddler just under the surface of this burgeoning adult. And that's, that's an amazing juxtaposition. There is still innocence even as they begin to struggle with some of the big issues that are in life. And if you've ever spent any time talking to teenagers, you'll notice that they struggle with the big issues that are out there. Life and death, justice and injustice, right and wrong, moral and immoral. I love listening to them process all of that and come up with their own answers. Parents are often future focused and they're scared of what might be. And what's cool about teens is they often are very much in the present and what is. That's frustrating sometimes because they don't see the, the tree they're running into in just a minute. You know, parents love to carry a torch with flickering light to light the way forward. But teens carry a flashlight, which is often much more efficient. What do you mean by that? Teens carry a flashlight? They're more focused on what they want to do at any given point in time. The flashlight, actually, it's, it's a better form of light if you're trying to illuminate a particular thing. If you've ever been around torchlights, they flicker a lot. So you cast a lot of shadows. And But that kind of goes along to like what you were saying about they don't always see uh, all of the consequences of their actions. That, that flashlight is focused on one thing, but everything else around it is dark. Yep, that too. Cool. I feel like I was a pretty torchlight style teenager. I don't think I ever <laughs> knew where I was going. Honey, that's just because you were trying to light everything on fire. <laughs> Fair points. If you want to talk about true conflict in teenage, Don, you've got some pretty rosy concepts when you talk about the excitement of understanding and watching them grow. But I look back at my teenage years and I'm like, ooh, talk about growing pains. I definitely tried to light everything on fire. There was lots of screaming and yelling and who knew what I was becoming, but y'all stuck it out. And that's the important part with parents is sticking it out to see what happens as we become not teens. 
Sure. And you know, I just walked around behind you with a fire hose. <laughs> well, Kim, having gone through your own teen years and now kind of studied a lot of this, what are some ways that parents can be more effective at raising teens, especially difficult teens like you? <laughs> are you calling me difficult, please? I was a boss level monster. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, end game Ganondorf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as far as parents go, being respectful and doing your best to listen to your teen is important. It's a very confusing time. I mean, if you look at teenage development, you've got puberty and all of the hormones that are associated with that. You've got peer influence. Now with social media and stuff, you have even further reach than immediate like high school peer groups. So your teenager has access to more than just the immediate connections. What Ben and I experienced growing up was less on the internet side and more on the directly in front of us, uh, though that tipped as I finished out my teenage years. But really leaning in and understanding that and developing rules and structure that they have influence on and then following said rules. If you have a rule that there is no phones at the table, that rule also affects you as a parent. You don't get to use your phone at the table either. It's important to set up boundaries and say, if this is what you do, this is the consequence, and then follow through with that consequence. Teenagers start to get the privilege of driving. And if one of their consequences of breaking curfew is to no longer have access to their car, you have to follow through on that, even if it might be inconvenient to your own schedule. The purpose of rules is to have them be reinforced. Outside of that, just understanding that these are people. These are... These kids. Wait, the, wait the, the teens? The teens are people? Everybody's people. The parents are people for sure. Yeah. I don't know about the teens. <laughs> the teens are people. They're growing with their maturity. They're looking for more freedom. Expect them to keep their word and you have to do the same. Both aspects of this or all aspects of this are reciprocal. You can't expect your child to engage in behaviors that you're not willing to engage in yourself. You have to be putting forward that example. And that's true of all parenting, even as, you know, a parent of adult children. Don still has to set a good example for us. Does that always work, though? If you're setting an example, you know, we've talked a lot about modeling as a parent. And so if you've set an example through the child's life of keeping your word and being honest and that kind of thing, then they get to their teen years and they're deceiving you, I guess. If you've done that modeling, what else can you do? So that's where the rules and boundaries and understanding of privileges comes in. You expect them to be honest and follow through with the modeled behavior. And if they start to engage in behaviors that are not like that, that's when that rule comes in. That's when the privileges get taken away. The other part is to look at what's motivating the child to deceive you. And likely that's a behavior you've engaged in. So you have, in some way, when they've come to you talking about something controversial or that differs from your point of view, you've shut them down. So now they believe they don't have a place where they can come and talk to you about a difference of opinion, a a difference of point of view, or a desire that they have that you may not like. 
Okay, but so shutting them down, I wouldn't necessarily associate with the act of deception. So that's important, I think, to note, especially for those parents out there of teens, that not being open to having a discussion about a topic could lead to the behavior of deception or lying from a teen. That's not to me a direct, like, I didn't lie if I'm the parent. I just didn't engage with whatever thing that the teen wanted to talk about. And that has led to them deceiving me in order to pursue that thing or talk about it with somebody else or whatever. Or to explore the idea. Yeah. Right. I think the easiest way to look at that is sex education and parents shying away from wanting to talk about healthy sex lives and what that means with their teenagers and then teens going to look for that information elsewhere and either getting bad information or misinformation about what that aspect of their life is and then even going a step further and exploring it with other people and not sharing that with parents because the parents were not receptive or not willing to be open and communicative about the subject. That makes sense. So I'll, I'll give you Don's radical idea about parenting. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. If you're getting an outcome from your child that you don't like, take full personal responsibility for not creating the atmosphere that would have allowed for a different set of behaviors. So my job as a parent was to make it safe enough that you all could challenge me on anything and know that we would have a discussion, that you wouldn't get shut down, you wouldn't get shamed, you wouldn't be turned away. You also wouldn't get kid gloves. If you want to have a hard discussion, you're going to get hard information and hard feedback. As a parent, I didn't treat you like you couldn't handle the world. I treated you like you could handle the world. Yeah, I grew up on the phrases, help me understand. How is this behavior helping you? I'm kind of disappointed in your actions today. (laughs) All three are true. (laughs) Yeah, and all three have wrecked my soul. (laughs) Oh, that's not true at all. Perpetual fear of disappointment. Well, that's actually a projection. So that's an interesting outcome, right? That becomes a projection. The fear is of disappointment because you're not noticing all of the successes. Yes, this goes into my own mental health, which we don't have to address today. I don't You opened it. Ben is running away. <laughs> yep. I mean, so for me, I think back more to teen years, Kim, and I remember you telling lies about just rude, random stuff. Well, I if we're going to get into stuff, but I was curious. That's why I was asking about like, because I don't feel that mama or papa, like you said, you created environments where we could talk about stuff. I'm not saying you're perfect, but like no. you did a good job of it. I, I don't think Kim disagrees with that. And I didn't try to pull very much over on y'all. I was pretty straight ahead. And by the time I was headed off to college, I think Kim was in the midst of a lot of growing pains. And I feel that it wasn't just mama and papa. All three of us were baffled by your behavior. And I'm curious now, I guess, in hindsight, what you both think of that, because I don't feel like Papa or Mama modeled an environment of deception or of not being willing to engage with things. Yet, Kim, you displayed some behaviors of deception. Well, a portion of this is just, and Papa asked me this growing up all the time, help me understand what's happening. And I honestly could not tell you a lot of what I went through. I genuinely don't have an answer for you as to why I behaved that way. Who knows? Maybe I'm sociopathic and just don't know it. No. Actually, I think the responsibility falls with with Mama and I that we did not make you feel special enough 
that we didn't help you see your unique contribution and all you saw was Ben's unique contribution. That is true. I did struggle a lot with Ben being good at things that I wanted to engage in and then me feeling like, well, what's the point? Because I'm not going to be as good as Ben, which happened in music mostly as far as I felt obligated to do music because everyone in the family does music, but I didn't like it and I wanted to do dance. And then Ben started ballroom dancing and he was really good at that too. And I was like, I can't get a break on any of this. And I was really upset around that. I never did it competitively though. No, you didn't. You are a much better dancer than I am. And I didn't feel that way. So a lot of it was big brother syndrome of Ben is Mm. better at everything than I am. And, you know, that fell across every aspect of my life. And in high school, I was consistently Ben's little sister. It was like I didn't have an identity outside of being your sibling. And so a lot of pain and frustration on my part came from that. How do I create my own self when it's constantly in regard to someone else? Which is comical because now I'm also Dawn's daughter. I'm Dr. Azevedo's daughter. (laughs) And my identity as a therapist is consistently, are you related to Dr. Azevedo? (laughs) So I kind of, I put myself in that one though. Although I I will say that I worked hard at trying to get you to see the things that you were good at in and of yourself, like your art. Oh, yeah. And, And you would dismiss any of my compliments. I dismissed everything. I hated everything. The takeaway that I'd love our listeners to get, though, is that it's not always clear. It's not always a one-to-one correlation between, well, I've been modeling this thing and my teen is doing a different thing. Right. What's going on? It's not always an immediate, clear answer. And sometimes teen's just going to do what a teen's going to do. Like Kim said, she didn't always know why she was doing what she was doing. So even though we had an environment where we could talk about it in a safe way, it didn't necessarily solve the problem. And I just want the listener to know that because I think that in some ways it's reassuring. And another thing to like look at as far as reflecting on my own personal interactions is Mama and I got into it a lot on the different expectations she had around clothing and social appearance because I would draw on my ripped jeans or I'd, you know, put all (laughs) of the... Don't you laugh at me. Kim was a punk. I was. You draw on your shoes, you draw on your hands and your arms. I drew on everything. I liked you art. <laughs> you were this close to being a graffiti artist. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I would love to be a graffiti artist. I just can't hold a spray can like that. But Mama and I would get into that because she had an expectation, but we never really communicated on what her expectation was. Versus my experience of wanting to use my clothing as an outlet of my personality. I think one of the biggest fights we would get into was on my jeans being ripped at the bottom. It was mainly because I wouldn't let her hem my pants because they look really silly when you hem them because they're jeans. But then (laughs) I was too short to even wear the short pants, the short size pants from department stores. So it was this constant battle with her. And I do remember being really angry about it because I consistently felt like my message wasn't getting across, but I also didn't understand her side of it. And it wasn't until I was... 22, 23, that we had a conversation about what pants were supposed to look like. Well, there's sort of tubes that go on your legs. <laughs> Solid. Fair points. Uh, and then the top part comes together into one tube. 
<laughs> well, you, you bring up a really good point. So in that story, you did not feel heard and mama didn't feel heard. And neither of you got quiet enough to really listen to the other person. And what I want our listeners to know is that it's the parent's job to get quiet enough to listen because the teen doesn't have that skill. That comes all the way back to some of the stuff we talked about in the very early episodes. It, it harkens back to some of the key things that go on in trying to resolve conflict, which is when you notice there's a conflict, be the first one to listen, to really try and understand the viewpoint of the other person, to really try to uncover what their needs are. As an adult, hopefully I've got a little bit more experience under my belt and I could understand what that intends or means and check that out with you. And when I check it out and you go, yeah, that's what I want, then we can find something. Don, are there some other techniques you want to talk about for conflict resolution with parents and teenagers, since that's such a, a common situation? Sure. So a couple of things. Teens need their parents in their lives, but they need their parents in their lives on the teens' terms. So it's important for you to continue to share your values and remember that your behavior, how you act, is still the greatest influence on your kids. If conflict arises, actually, it's not even if, right, Kim? It's when. So true. When conflict arises, manage your own emotions first. Recognize, I've gotten angry. I've felt upset. I've felt like my authority has been attacked. I've Whatever the heck I'm feeling, all of those things are likely to be felt. I need to manage my own emotions because my emotional state is the message that the teen is going to hear. It's not what I say. It's how I say it that's going to make the big impact, the big difference. This is why, Kim, you keep saying you are afraid of disappointing me because all you heard was my sadness in response to your behavior and I didn't manage it well enough. So you are afraid of making me sad. Papa's got a really, really intense sad voice. <laughs> I did successfully get through my entire teenagehood with you only yelling at me once, which was more than enough. Other than that, it was the sad, I'm really disappointed in your actions today. Yes. Then the question is, is when you look back at those behaviors, can you go, yeah, that was probably not the best choice? No, because most of that interject is now associated with other things that were totally not something that would <laughs> disappoint you. My brain has warped it quite intensely. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, and that's another thing, right? So as we grow up and we become adults, we change how we experience what we had in, in childhood and in our teenhoods. But also recognize as a parent that your teen is likely to be way more emotional than you are because their hormones are raging and they are fluctuating wildly. Homeostasis has not been achieved yet, and that will trigger all kinds of emotions. Listen really hard to understand what's happening with your kid because they will not be able to articulate it clearly. That means that you've got to really pay attention to the message they're sending. Help them take personal responsibility because ultimately it is their responsibility, whatever choice they're going to make, wherever they are. Help them understand that they're going to get the outcome that they engage in. Kim, you disagree with me? No, I was laughing because you said help them understand. <laughs> Yes. See, not only do I ask you to help me understand, I help them understand too. Well, it's just interesting how attuned I am to those like couple of words. They're important words. Mm. Kim disagrees on that one too. 
The other thing about being a parent is open yourself to thinking about whatever the issue is your kid is bringing to you from their point of view. You don't have to agree, but you do have to think about the child is struggling with whatever this issue is. And treating that with honesty and being straightforward is what will help them make better decisions. How do you do that for something that didn't exist when you, I mean, I think the first thing you would do if you're trying to picture it from their perspective is think about your experience as a teen, right? We've talked a little bit about technology, especially like social media, that kind of thing. There's other examples of this, but how would you do this if you don't have that experience to draw from, from your own teenage years? So extrapolate because the underlying need is probably similar. Hmm. So when I was a teenager, we didn't have all this technology and there wasn't, there were no cell phones, there was no internet, you know, computers were not even a thing. Electric typewriters were becoming a thing. The fax machine was the quick communication, none of which were accessible by teens. But being included, having a social group that I was a part of was a very much important thing. Well, that thing is now manifest in video gaming and being with your friends in a video game online. It's, you know, being on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the uh, cool thing is at the moment. TikTok. TikTok. That's what's important. Papa, yeah. Are you on TikTok yet, Papa Don? No, I am not on TikTok. Hmm. Nor have I ever tried to imitate someone dancing on TikTok. I mean, I, I know a little bit about these things, but not very much. Hell, I'm not even on Twitter. <laughs> But the key underlying thing for the kid is how am I a part of whatever my social group is? And it's just manifest through technology. Okay, so you don't necessarily have to go sign up for a bunch of social media accounts yourself to understand what your teen is going through. No, but it would be helpful. I mean, if, if you two right now were 12 and 8, I would know a whole lot more, particularly about the sites that you could get snagged into for child pornography and child abduction and that kind of stuff. So it takes a, a bit of paying attention to, and I would have much better parental monitors on what's going on on the internet. But the key thing is here is your kid wants to fit in with a social group. That's probably what's going on. How is that working and what is that group doing? Is that group drinking? Is that group using drugs? Is that group smoking? Is that group having sex? Is that group studying chemistry, doing positive things? Who knows? Doing marching band. I don't know if that's a positive or not. I was going to say, is that group a cult called marching band? <laughs> or, or sports or lots of other things. But they want to somehow feel connected in a part of a smaller group within whatever the school system is that they're in. I think a bigger concern as far as when conflict arises is trying to understand cyberbullying, which is the new craze out there, because there are so many different types of social media. It is really hard to keep track of, you know, what's going on. It's hard to monitor or be aware of your own child's use of uh, social media accounts because you can make fake accounts. You can do all of these things. And it's also really hard to tell if your child is being bullied on social media, unless your child outright tells you. But sometimes teens won't because they don't want to admit that something like this is happening or that they've done an action that has then resulted in being mocked and made fun of online. It's an interesting dynamic, and I, I think we should do a full episode on technology and kids at some point. Just because there's so much to unpack there and it's such a intense topic because a lot of the teens that I've seen and some of the parents of teens that I've seen struggle with 
the appropriate boundary to create around social media for their child or sharing social media with their parents, I suppose, would be the other way around. There's so many different aspects to technology now that make parenting way more challenging than it was even 20 years ago. When Ben and I were kids, it was more about, you know, who skinned their knee outside or whacked their head on the pole in the backyard because we were outside doing all sorts of shenanigans with the neighbors and less on computers because it wasn't that much of a thing. We only had the one. It was definitely how many hours are you playing on a computer game or how many hours of Saturday cartoons do you get to watch before you have to go outside? I definitely remember Mama and Papa pushing us out the doors to go ride our bikes or play. And I also remember times when I was great friends with the neighborhood kids and times when I really did not get along with the neighborhood kids (laughs) and being really uncomfortable. I mean, this is a little before teenage years, I would say, but being uncomfortable playing outside because I didn't have a group. I didn't have a tribe out in the, in the (laughs) cul-de-sac. Yeah. Most of my experiences are usually related around various injuries and scars that I have now of like, oh yeah, I remember at the YMCA when. (laughs) Or incidents that happened at school. So when you guys were teenagers, we would get the calls from the principal about knives being pulled at school and fights breaking out. That was not not, us. Not us. Not us pulling knives. (laughs) He just threw that out there like, oh yeah, you know, like when y'all were kids and then the principal would call me like, Ben pulled a knife again. It's like the fifth time this month. Can you come pick him up? Where does he get these? Why do you keep giving him these knives, Don? Don, you got to keep the knives under control. You all didn't, but you remember that there were those incidents while you were there. Yes. We have talked a little bit about how teens can be inconsistent, especially emotionally, and they've got all these hormones going on. Kim, How can parents turn to each other for support and consistency during these years? I actually think it's really important for parents to find other parents who are also going through teenage years. Having each other, if you are married or in a committed relationship and have a child, is great. I think having a tribe of people to be able to talk things over with who are maybe not in the situation or have had similar situations. I know um, Mama and Papa had the marching band parents, which I reckon they were more of the solid rock for those parents than (laughs) the parents being for them. The point being, having a community of other parents is really important. And even more so for single parents, And having that group of people that raising a kid with a community is easier than raising a kid on your own. Yes, ma'am, it is. When you're divorced, it's also important to recognize that what's going to happen in the other household is not within your circle of control. That you might have a little bit of influence. Certainly, you can provide some level of of information, but you're going to have to let go of the control on the other side. And that's going to have an effect with how you parent at home. This is particularly true around phones for whatever reason. One parent will be very liberal with the phone and the other parent is like, you know, you don't get the privilege of a phone if you don't show the responsibility. That's hard. And that's where you need a community to support you on your side when you have your kid and when you're trying to do things Uh, because you may not get that from your divorced partner. 
However, I will say that this is a really cool impact of social media is that there are a lot of online groups for single parents where you can connect and make those connections of, hey, I have a six-year-old and a 13-year-old and I'm going crazy. And there are other parents out there who are willing to talk with you and be supportive. So yeah, use these resources because parenting is a hard job and it's easier when you parent with a group of other folks. It's a hard job, but the good thing is a lot of people have done it. That's true. (laughs) Yes, that's true. There's a lot of collective experience out there. And with the internet and with the tools we have at our disposal, there's a lot of ways to reach out and find information. And maybe we can link to some of that stuff on our resources page. And hey, we're a pretty good resource too. Well, listener, we hope you found that helpful. This week, we covered teens and the ways they're developing into their own personhood. We went through a number of techniques to be more effective at parenting a teen, how to manage the inevitable conflict that comes with raising a teenager, and we shared some resources for seeking additional support. Because parenting is a tough job, but you can do it. If you found any of this helpful, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavitofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again... May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm-hmm.